There is only one question that matters. Do you swear on your life that what you say is true? Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Iftdecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by fellow medieval historian Sarah McDougall to discuss 2021 film The Last Duel. So Sarah, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's such a pleasure to to join you on this fun podcast. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you agreed to talk about this particular film? Uh, Okay. I teach history and a bunch of other basically law-ish things at John Jay College of Criminal Justice at the City University of New York. And I also teach at the Graduate Center where I coordinate the Medieval Studies program. And I've been there for many years. My, my expertise, I guess, is focused on France, but it's mostly things to do with law and women mm-hmm. and gender and criminal justice. I've done a lot of work on a sort of vaguely sexy things like marriage marriage isn't always so sexy, but adultery and bigamy and um, illegitimate children who at least are, you know, conceived in sexy ways if they're not (laughs) always sexy. Uh, And so my interest in The Last Duel came mostly from uh, being asked to come up with a class that would be uh, interesting for a special group of transfer students who were coming in, mm-hmm. mostly from community colleges who have a special interest in criminal justice, which is, of course, many of the students at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Right. And so I put together a class on famous trials, um, but I wanted to include medieval content. And so I was looking around for something other than Joan of Arc, just for um, <laughs> a variety. And, and so I, I knew about The Last Duel already, just from various things. I mean, I'd read about it here and there. And then uh, I happened to see that the movie was coming out. And so I built a whole class around it. And I got together all of the relevant primary sources and translated them. And so that's kind of how, and and all of that was uh, last summer Mm -hmm. (laughs) or no, two summers ago now, right? Or what what is time? (laughs) Especially in the pandemic, what is time? The summer before the movie came out Mm -hmm. uh, was when I finished setting all of this up. And then I taught the class for the first time last fall during the time of the movie. And so, incorporated seeing the movie in the class. Great. So yeah, so you have spent a lot of time thinking about and working with this particular film. Indeed. Yes. And made this commitment before I had the chance to see the movie, of course. Yes. 
I also made this the commitment to record this podcast uh, before having seen the movie, um, which I'll just uh, kind of briefly introduce. So uh, based on a book by Eric Yeager, is that the correct pronunciation? Do you know? It's the one I use, so I hope it's yes. right. So uh, based on a book by Eric Yeager, which is, uh, you know, he is a an academic historian, but the book is a bit more popular audience in focus. Uh, he's a literature professor, yes. That's right, yes. So uh, so he is an academic and uh, yeah, scholar of literature, but it is, yeah, it's much more of a kind of popular audience work, which I read a long time ago, you know, as a young medievalist. We have the film released in 2021, directed by Ridley Scott, who I'm just going to have to say at the outset, uh, I personally feel has a poor track record with depicting the medieval past. As listeners of this podcast will know, because I have covered both Kingdom of Heaven and Robin Hood, not particularly positively. (laughs) Uh, You so so I mean medievalists have a have a range of views on Ridley Scott in general, but I will uh, in, in 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 case you need reassurance, I will tell you that a medieval historian who I will not name in case it actually may incriminate her was just telling me over the weekend that Ridley Scott is going to be filming something near where she teaches next week, mm-hmm. something like that. And that she is torn between, you know, considering the risks to her job and the amount of satisfaction it would give her if she were to find him and uh, give him a piece of her mind. <laughs> so stay Yeah, there. I, man, but I love to see that like on film. Um <laughs> Yes, and I, you know, and I teach in medieval at the movies course as well, uh, and this semester taught both Kingdom of Heaven and Robin Hood in that class, so I, you know, have spent a lot of quality time critiquing Ridley Scott. This film then stars Matt Damon as Jean de Carouge, Adam Driver as Jacques Legree, Jodie Comer as Marguerite de Thibouville, and Ben Affleck as Count Pierre d'Alençon. Also stars, really stars hairstyles. I will also, we can just go ahead and say there is some like real choices that Matt Damon, that are made with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's hair situation. So having written at length about this. Yes. (laughs) I can... uh... I I concur. (laughs) Yes. uh, And I will just say among the many choices is just, I don't think I've ever seen Ben Affleck in addition to the weird cut, I also don't think I've ever seen Ben Affleck as a blonde. I, yeah. Um, and now I... Mind. Now you have. Now I have, and now I know why he doesn't typically go that route. I mean, yes. There we are. Yes. So at this point, we can move into the enumeratio or recap section, and I will just give a very brief overview of what the plot is, and then we can get into some more general discussion of the film. So the film, as it claims, is based on true events. It is centered on a, quote, duel or judicial combat between Jean de Carouge and Jacques Legree. And the combat is over an accusation made by 
coverage and in his film, in this film by his wife, Marguerite, that uh, Legree raped Marguerite. We have that as essentially the, the, we have the open essentially by kind of indicating this duel is about to happen. We then go backwards, have the perspectives given on the events in question from Carouge, Legree, and finally Marguerite, at which point we then return to the duel itself, uh, which I'll just, you know, spoiler, spoiler alert. Now this is a spoiler-filled podcast. Carouge wins, etc. So let's just kind of get out of the way. Uh, how, Sarah, how did you feel? about this movie? Well, as a, as a person who studies the Middle Ages and who therefore feels some gratitude anytime anyone cares about or is interested mm-hmm. in the Middle Ages, I began with much generosity and hope. And then as a, as a medievalist, as a scholar, I was all kinds of deeply upset. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I wanna to return to that in a second, but I'll, I'll just add then finally, above all, as a, as, a, as a feminist and as a human being and as a woman, mm-hmm. woman, I have no words to explain how frustrated and angry I was. And uh, I mean, I, I returned from the movie and luckily I was at a screening because uh, I was writing something for Slate. And so they got me into to the screening. So I was able to see it before my students did. And I had bought them all tickets to go. Mm-hmm. So I said, OK, you don't have to go anymore. You can go see <laughs> something else. In fact, I highly recommend that you go see something else. I no longer need you to see this movie for this class. In fact, I recommend that you don't. But as a, as a medievalist, just to, to finish up very, very quickly, what, what made it so upsetting for me is that it seemed like they were trying so hard and it was so plausibly almost right in <laughs> many ways that what they did wrong was almost more offensive because it, it made it seem like they might have actually been getting it right when they were getting yes. it so wrong. Like if it yes. had just been a total fantasy, I could have relaxed mm-hmm. in a way that this just, it, it rubbed. Anyway, I should like, I'll stop it. Yeah. So I, I really tried. I really tried got to go into this movie with an open mind. I, I will admit, you know, the idea of, you know, I don't have particularly positive feelings about Ridley Scott in his choices about representing the medieval past. I also had a lot of concerns about the kind of base choices of the film in terms of it being structured such that it is presented as being about a woman's rape, but gives then essentially equal voice and time and character development to her husband and to her rapist. 
Um, worse than that, but yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and like, and to the extent even that I, based on things that I was hearing about the movie, I at least was hopeful that she was the lead of the film. Having watched this movie, I do not think she was the lead of the film. I think she is a minor character in a story about her own rape. And I am infuriated by this as a feminist. There are additional reasons that I'm going to get into in more detail once we kind of get to some more of the kind of details that I'm also particularly enraged as somebody who studies medieval women and gender. And I I left off watching this film, or I actually, I kind of paused and I'm gonna add a number of points in this film as the kind of, you know, flames rose at the, si- at the side of my face. But I paused on a number of occasions. And then, you know, during these pauses and during these moments in which, in, in which I had then finished the film, I felt very confused because I felt like I'd seen so many positive comments on the film And I felt baffled by them because in addition to the many, many, many feminist and medievalist specific issues, I also just felt that this film was um, boring and as a a representation of the medieval past, just kind of deeply tropey. This movie is so gray. It's so, so gray. I don't know why it needs to be so gray. It is a movie that in terms of what its plot is meant to be and how it is presented, it's like, oh, okay. I mean, this at least is doing something different from the standard medieval battle epic. And yet it very much constructs itself such as to say, let's see if we can fit in some more battles. I worry we don't have enough battles. And it's just, it's just every, it's, it's every boring medieval movie I have ever seen, plus this added major rape plot line, which doesn't make it better. It, exactly. It, I found it so painful to watch for all of these reasons. I did not want to watch any of it. I mean, and I love Jodie Comer. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I will say she was great. She was great. She did a great She was fantastic. Job. She did, a, she did a fabulous job with what she was asked to do. Yes. But she, I, I mean, well, no, none of the people involved seemed to know what they were doing, which was that to, to, to just totally invent, well, I should let you drive, but I'm, um, yes. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into in a little bit the, what we kind of actually know about this particular case and the way in which this film draws on, but also in some significant ways, departs from that source material. But I guess let's uh, kind of take each of the kind of pieces and talk a little bit about it. So we begin with Karuja's perspective, uh, which of course means that we begin with a battle, right? That we've got him at the Battle of Limoges, which, you know, they lose, but he acquits himself well and all of that. And this is also where he meets Legree, Adam Driver, and, you know, saves his life, all of that. Yeah. I don't think there's any, I think they made that up. But anyway, yes, great. Right. It's, a, it's I mean, it's a real battle, is essentially it, the, what the, yes. one can there say. There was a battle. <laughs> but it's like, it, it is very much like I, my heart kind of sank to be honest, when we got into this battle scene, because it really was kind of this moment of I'm like, oh, 
I thought regardless of whether I liked this movie or not, I thought it was going to try to do something a little different as I was saying. And then it's like, we're five minutes in, like there's no color in the world because color, I guess, hadn't yet been invented in the 14th century, according to these people. And uh, we have this battle that does, that is not really relevant to the plot. It doesn't matter to what the plot ostensibly is supposed to be, but we need it because otherwise, you know, I don't know why will men see this movie? Like anyway, so we have the battle because of this, uh, we have this friendship established between Carouge and Legree, which Carouge to some extent benefits from in that he is uh, uh, deeply broke and Legree is at this point has been kind of tasked by the Count Pierre d'Alençon, who we'll see more of in Legree's version of the story. But in Carouge's version, uh, we just know that, you know, there's this Count, the Count seems to not particularly like him. For the time, he is feeling kind of at least like he at least benefits from this friendship with Legree because Legree basically helps him out a bit in terms of uh, allowing him to kind of hold off on paying his full tax burden, essentially. Given that he is broke, he also then is pleased to have the opportunity to get married to a woman with a substantial dowry. And so here enters Marguerite. And I will say, I guess, credit where credit is due. She is not technically the only female character. Uh, We do also see (laughs) Karusha's mother at various points. Yay! (laughs) Yay! Um, (laughs) Because otherwise, how can we have hostility between women if we only have one woman? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Karusha is introduced to Marguerite. They get married haggle over this dowry and we also learn that part of the dowry this uh, particular from what I understand just kind of particularly I don't know nice and uh, fertile plot of land uh, Le Faucon, I guess has ended up in uh, Legree's hands in uh, basically as the the father Marguerite's father's need to pay off the tax burden this then sparks conflicts anew so basically he sues the Count and Legree over this plot of land. The king denies his petition. And so we've kind of got this hostility. And so this is also where I get very, very annoyed. So because, you know, Marguerite, they're married. She's finally, you know, half an hour in, in the movie. She's a minor character, right? Uh, I mean, I was so busy being annoyed at what they were having her do do based on either nothing or a comprehension of the material that I couldn't really figure out that measurement, but sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so in Karuja's story, she kind of shows up and I don't know, looks sad when he leaves for the war. And she seems like she's sort of half-heartedly attempting to give him advice about basically trying to um, be slightly more conciliatory to people who are in powerful positions. But she's very unimportant to the narrative at this stage, which is really fundamentally about Carouge and his personal fortunes, which are going poorly, like he thought he was going to get his father's captaincy. And because he sued the Count, the Count is mad at him. So he gives it to Legree. 
that's what the story is about. It's about this growing conflict that Carouge is having with, like that Matt Damon is having with Ben Affleck and Adam Driver. That is what the movie is about. And then his wife is like sort of there. Right. And, uh, right. And so then, yes, that's, that's version one. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, he then, you know, has various assorted kind of wars, et cetera, comes back home where even the tapestries are gray in his gray, miserable house in this gray, miserable world. And now even his wife seems gray and miserable and upset. And she tells him that she's been raped and he says ultimately, you know, asks her if she's telling the truth and then says, ah, yes, of course, I'll support you. I'm sorry I wasn't here to protect you and indicates that he will attempt to pursue justice. And now we get the truth according to Jacques Legree. And I just have to say, I understand conceptually what they were going for. Yeah, it's this like Rashomon thing. Yeah. Yes. But I mean... Just go watch Rashomon, don't... (laughs) Go watch Rashomon. And also, even though so... uh, Okay, the one thing that I was... I will say I was especially worried about that I don't think they did is that I was worried that in his version, they would present it as not being rape. And I think that for the most part, it's still... I have some... There are some issues, but it mostly still looked like a rape. It could have been worse, I guess. I'm well, we should. I, I don't know when you want to get into this. Yeah, we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, and yeah, just major, major trigger warnings, I guess, for just from this point on. But I still just fundamentally the idea of making a film where a central plot element is a rape and the perspective of the rapist is represented as fully as that of the woman he raped. I just, I just fundamentally, I just, I just think that is a bad choice. I think that that's not something it is ultimate. Like I, I, I see what they're trying to do and I'm not sure it is possible to do well. I, based on this movie, I don't, I certainly was not here. I don't think it can be done. No, no, that's, that's right. So Legree's perspective, uh, Legree's perspective is that, you know, he's, he's got more parties and orgies and yet it is still so gray and miserable. Oh my God. Mm. So basically, you know, his version of the story is he is being nice to Carouge, even though he's boring or as Ben Affleck, as Pierre Alençon says, he's no fucking fun. Meanwhile, Legree is a lot of fun because he he joins the Count in participating in the just like straight up orgies that they just have in this household because there are a lot of orgies with a lot of nameless women. I mean, uh, of course, that makes perfect sense. We also learned that Legree can read in various languages, which is presented as being something the Count finds very impressive. Uh, he was being prepared for a career in the church, which he did not feel ultimately it was something that his that he was suited for. He is also given his assorted linguistic and numerical skills, put in charge of the finances. Uh, we've got a lot of. Uh, of uh, Legree and the Count mocking Carouge for being kind of boring and rigid. We see from their perspective, Carouge's uh, essentially, you know, this 
this relationship deteriorating as Karuge kind of loses it, attempting to confront them on various occasions. We have then this episode where, so we had this, you know, reconciliation, right, between the two men, which we did also briefly see in uh, Karuge's part, where then in Legree's part, it includes this extended conversation about literature with Marguerite, where they are presented as bonding, which I did not like as a choice. The, I did appreciate the slight nasty comment on the fact that they that neither of them like rom- Romance of the Rose, but other than that, <laughs> did not like that scene. And Legree, as he presents himself, increasingly has developed this infatuation with her. He then shows up at her home, confesses his love to her, and indicates that she must love him as well and that her husband can't possibly sufficiently appreciate her. Then we have our first representation of the rape scene. So she does repeatedly say no and runs and attempts to fight him off and attempts to call for somebody, but you know, none of the, her her mother-in-law had gone off with all the servants. So nobody's in the house. Where the scene made me uncomfortable is that the there are some very subtle differences in the sounds that we hear Marguerite making, which is then also, I would say, uh, further emphasized by the closed captioning, in case you are wondering, because I watched this movie with the closed captioning because I am 90, so I watch everything with closed captioning. And that many of her sounds are described as moans. That wasn't a moan. That noise I just made was not a moan. Yeah. And it is clear that she did not consent, but it is not fully clear in this version of the scene that she did not ultimately end up enjoying it. And that is... I know the thy point is that it's supposed to be from his perspective and that he interprets it differently. I think it's fundamentally a bad choice. I mean, that it even, yeah. yeah. It is not as awful as I thought it was going to be, but it's not good either. And this is also the moment where I will kind of first, uh, first mention that. So in the marketing for this film, they really presented themselves as if they were making this big feminist statement. And in addition to the fact that for various reasons, uh, you know, when I think of big feminist statements, I don't think of Ridley Scott, Ben Affleck, or Matt Damon for a variety of reasons. And I will say they did hire a woman who wrote uh, Nicole um, Holofcern. Yes, I hope who wrote Marguerite's part from what I understand. Yes, that is, that is what we are told. But it is still largely a project crafted by men whose record on feminism is, and depictions of women in film is checkered at best. And it felt like in terms of how they presented this movie and then what it actually was, it felt really like they were basically kind of patting themselves on the back and giving themselves a cookie for being like, look, look, we made a movie where it says the woman, she didn't lie about being raped. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they, they, they thought they were 
being, I don't even know what the right word is because it's so far from what they actually achieved. I mean, they only, yeah, I, I mean, the, forget, forget, you know, how I felt about it as a medieval historian, as a, I just, I mean, you, I have no words. Yeah. And even though I, as we get into Marguerite's part, I do ultimately feel the way they settled. I think that fine. They, I think they are saying, yes, she didn't lie about being raped. I don't think they do the, a great job of it. I do think that they are, that the film is taking her side. I, 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 I agree that there can be conflicting. My problem is I have a longer response. No, that is very fair. That is very fair. And please do share that in a second. Yeah, or, or if you want to kind of wait until Margaret, I don't know if when you want to kind of get into it, but I will just say like, even if we ultimately say that, that's a really, really low bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, and it's an even lower bar. I mean, I might as well just, I, I can't help myself. Yeah, no, go it's, ahead. It's an even lower bar because what they're doing is they're claiming they're insisting that they're presenting this as believing the victim. Yes. But they're not because what they're using to construct their Marguerite is not her words mm-hmm. at all. Yes. They, they're using her husband's words mm-hmm. as hers. Yes. So it's an even worse it's even worse. They're, they're yeah. believing the husband about her, mm-hmm. that her, you know, that as if that's her talking. Yes. And so, and so what I said, I meant in the perspective of like within the universe of the film, mm-hmm. once you know that backdrop, it becomes you're absolutely right, far, far more problematic because when easily, and I, I think I, I think now I'm actually kind of paraphrasing you and your Slate article, one could easily have written a story that instead was, say, about her as this pawn in a false accusation that her husband made about her. Which, which people have done. And at least that doesn't doubly you know, conceal or doubly project or doubly something, you, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't pretend to be putting words in her mouth. Yeah. Right? It doesn't, sorry, it doesn't pretend to put, it, it doesn't put words in her mouth while pretending to be her speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So the way in which it kind of, yeah, takes her husband's words now as her own. I, yeah, I fully agree is really messed up and deeply problematic as a choice. And the idea that they're then saying like, look, we did a feminism honestly then bothers me even more. Yep. (laughs) Yes. We see that, you know, Legree insists then subsequently that obviously they loved each other and this was consensual. Pierre basically says, uh, the Count basically says like, so, uh, you know, basically says like, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I, I don't care, but, you know, deny it, you know, deny it ever happened. He also says, you know, I'll don't worry. I'll just, you know, say that you're, you're good. I'll just rule in your favor. But Carouge appeals uh, to the king and requests this judicial combat. 
The other loophole that Legree could take advantage of is that he uh, has taken minor, uh, he has taken minor orders, right, that he uh, technically does count as a cleric, and so he could be tried in an ecclesiastical court. I will also note this scene in which he is communicating about this, I found hilarious. Not because the content was funny, obviously, but because it just felt like they just put into the mouth of the, who was this person that he was supposed to be talking to? Was it actually, was it a lawyer or was it actually somebody who is a kind of, who's an ecclesiastic with some authority? So there's a couple of different conversations. One is with someone who actually was one of his lawyers. Okay. That's what it was. Okay. So they put into the mouth of his lawyer all of these things that just clearly read like they are copied verbatim from like an academic lecture about medieval law of just like, did you know that clerics and minor orders are actually disproportionately represented in rape, in like in rape cases or like, <laughs> and like, did you know that rape is in fact not a crime against a woman? It is treated as a prize, a property crime against a male guardian. Uh, <laughs> and, and wouldn't that be interesting if it were true? But anyway. And yeah, and it was just like this like weird scene that just like very much read like, in addition to like the ways in which there are issues in terms of these statements, it's also a, like, it just like, like, as I said, I just found these seem very funny and that it's just like no actual medieval person would like say these words. Uh, so now we get into Marguerite's perspective and okay. As we started off, I audibly in my house alone with my dog and cat said, are you fucking kidding me? Because the men both get this some amount of backstory and we see other things that they have in their lives and uh, things that they are doing and we get some sense of what they care about on an everyday basis. And Marguerite, her story, of course, starts with she is a uh, there with her thought she is standing there as her father haggles over her dowry and the issue of the loss of Onul Le Faucon with Carouge. So she gets nothing without these two men, literally nothing. And this is very much adding again to my feeling that she is made into a minor character in what purports to be her own story. It is not her story. It is a story about this relationship between these two men and she's then sort of in it. And I was enraged. Yeah, and we're supposed to be happy, right? Because she is educated and talented and has all of these domestic skills and is a really good negotiator and you know that's supposed to be making us happy but it didn't make me happy yeah and there are you know in terms of just giving credit where credit is due there are things a bit later into her story where we see her managing the estate while Carouge is out of town that I liked how that was depicted, but it really bothered me as a choice that they started her story with these marriage negotiations. So for example, it could have even been, you know, in a just kind of very narrow way, her establishing, you know, her education, her interest in literature, her developing a practical set of skills, that absolute, you know, her like working with her mother to develop this practical set of skills, that absolutely is as relevant to the plot as the 
stupid battle of Limoges. More relevant, argue. More relevant, I would argue. And yet. <laughs> and yet, and this very, and like, this is, again, this is the problem. I, I mean, it's not the only problem. There are so many problems. But this is one of the many problems is that it, the film, I, I don't think she's a character. I don't think she has a personality ever. I, I mean, and, and I will say, again, I think that Jodie Comer is absolutely doing the best with what she is given. I think to the extent that this character has a personality, it is coming out of like Jodie Comer's facial expressions and mannerisms, and she is doing an excellent job. Oh, absolutely. She was amazingly good at this yes. horrible thing. Yes, but this this woman is given no real meaningful kind of attention to her backstory or her character or her relationships. Like, we don't even know about her relationship with her father, even, you know, another man to be sure, but at least, you know, a man who was like previously in her life before getting mixed up in this whole situation. We don't know about her relationship with her family. We, I mean, it's just like, it very much feels like they're, even in the part that's supposed to be about her, that fundamentally they're not interested in her and that they are fundamentally more interested in these stories and characters of these two men who have much more clearly defined personality traits and we know much more about their lives. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We do see also an array of vaguely other well before of the in addition to the obvious rape we see an array of vaguely unpleasant sex scenes which essentially are you know her and her husband having sex at the end he you know says i hope you enjoyed yourself and she kind of says deadpan yes of course i did it was excellent so, and, you know, they're all, as I said, vaguely unpleasant. We get a sense from her perspective of what these encounters with Legree have looked like, which is that basically she, you know, has assorted conversations with women. They are basically, yeah, so she has these conversations with other women where they are talking about Legree, her overall impression seems to be that sure he's handsome but he seems like he's a jerk sorry I'm really struggling no it's it's hard to talk about and Mm -hmm. and I I mean this is this this just reflects like it's bad enough having to watch these events once but having Mm -hmm. to three times I mean by the third time just like oh no please especially since yes. the whole time you know what's coming exactly and Don't yeah and it's just it again. yeah i mean this movie really is just like it has such an intense feeling of impending dread and like once again to repeat trigger warnings like if you struggle with depictions of sexual assault like absolutely do not see this movie and, you know because you have to watch it not once but twice so like you know certainly doesn't help you know, we've also, it's like, we've got this, like, I don't know, metaphorical, like, horse rape scene, which I'm just like, why? Why? Oh, yeah, the whole thing is just, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Better. So yeah. She gets raped. In yes. Version and, yeah. Yeah. And, yes. And here it is. Uh, yeah, I would say even... As I said, I think it was clear she didn't consent in the first part, but here it is certainly more brutal. It is very clear that she is not moaning. She is sobbing. It is a very, very hard to watch scene. 
all the more because you've already seen it and now you have to see it again, but it's just like a teensy bit worse. The other thing that I want to make sure to note about the overall choices made in Marguerite's part is that I don't understand why this film needs to insist on any relationship she has with other women fundamentally being about conflict and hostility. She's got one female friend. This female friend then, because she one time said Legree is handsome, then says, clearly you weren't actually raped and says things to that extent at the trial. Her mother-in-law is just gratuitously nasty to her all the time. Uh, You know, I think there's maybe one scene in which, like, on a really, really technical basis, maybe it passes the Bechdel test. Like, if you say talking about a pregnancy kind of does because it's about technically the pregnancy and not real, and they don't actually mention the husband, and, like, that's the best we can do. And Yeah, I wouldn't even give that credit because, of course, producing a child for the husband, so... Right, yeah, exactly. And I think, really, I think with the context, certainly it does not deserve to be considered to have a pass. We also get the added detail in her scene that her husband responds with much more hostility and and physical violence when she tells him about this rape, that he actually is basically like choking her. She also, of course, has a line saying, I have no legal standing without your support, which isn't true. Talk more. And we get also this extended court interrogation scene where she's accused of having found Legree handsome and uh, is uh, told that because we've kind of like put in the seeds of this earlier, oh God, I wish I hadn't used that word, but I guess I'll go with it, of the fact that she, according to, as they're presenting it, this, you know, conception theory, she cannot conceive without having had an orgasm and giving the timing of her pregnancy that raises questions about whether she had an orgasm during this rape, according to the people examining her. And is also told that she, uh, if she, you know, is, if essentially if her husband doesn't win this judicial combat, that she will be burned at the stake. And so we'll talk more about the details of this, but certainly from what I understand, that particular, the kind of details of that interrogation are fully invented for this film. Yeah, we don't, I mean, it's, you know, it's an American, it's a modern American style procedural. So it couldn't have happened like that in the Middle Ages. Yes, yes. Not modern America. Yes. And so that then combined with the, and we'll talk more about kind of where this claim that she's going to be burned alive comes from, uh, but it's also a sort of a rather questionable one. All of that together, to me, feels very much like this movie is doing this thing that I feel like a lot of tropey bad medieval movies do, where they need to kind of put in all of these things where they're like, look, 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 women, look, things were even worse back then. Look, you you should think you're lucky that, you know, I mean, now you're going to get exactly, you know, in fact, this cross and cross examination if you, you know, bring forth a rape accusation. But hey, at least they're not going to burn you alive if you, uh, you know, if you say, you know, if it turns out that you're, you know, your, your rapist isn't found guilty, like, look how good you have it. Look how good it is for you. And I'm so glad you put it that way, because it's something that it's part of what really bothers me about this movie that I wasn't able to 
pulled together quite as well as, as you put it, because it does, it, it, it misrepresents as persistent some of the things that are new and horrible about the way that rape is handled tied on to the bad, horrible things that were true about rape proceedings in the past. And so the past was bad enough on its own terms. We don't have to mm-hmm. pretend that it was also bad on modern terms. And especially we shouldn't do that to try to make ourselves feel better about the modern because the modern yes. is a monster. Yeah. And it's something that I often say to my students is that misogyny differs not just in degree, but in kind. And no one's obviously saying that there wasn't medieval misogyny, but medieval misogyny took its own forms. It's not just modern misogyny, but look at how much worse it was. That's right. And and presenting it that way gives the modern a pass in a way that yes. I find completely intolerable. Yes, and not even giving a pass, I, I mean, even beyond giving a pass, I guess it feels it feels self-congratulatory. Yeah, yeah. In, in a way that in fact, so much of this movie feels self-congratulatory. Like, look, we've made, as in like, look, we've made this big feminist statement about how bad things were and we've fixed it, question mark says Ben Affleck, the man whose, uh, you know, brother is, uh, has been accused credibly of sexual assault and, uh, you know, is still around doing his thing. <laughs> Thanks. 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 <sighs> you know, all right. They've got a fight. She eventually, before this, every, all this happens, she has her kid. Uh, this apparently then becomes her, you know, soul raison d'etre personality characteristic and motivation in life is that she really loves her child, which, you know, obviously I'm not saying that mothers don't or shouldn't love their children or that motherhood isn't something that's important to a lot of women, but it's also like, wow, we finally gave a woman like a personality trait and something that she cares about and is just being a mom. Yay. <laughs> look, progressiveness. Look, look at this movie. Look how progressive we are. We're not marked by multiple different gender tropes. No, 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 no. Duel begins. I do have to give a shout out to the aggressive turtleneck that Marguerite is wearing, which is like invading her face. (laughs) You know, it's a fight. They set it up so that it can go as long as possible. We cut to, uh, you know what? I, I will say Ben Affleck is, Ben Affleck is very funny in this movie. He's clearly our like sort of comic relief snarky Duke character. We've got a number of kind of cuts to Ben Affleck during the fight, you know, making like sort of bitchy comments. There's that. Fight continues. Eventually, Carouge wins, gets the other hand, tries to get Legree to confess. Legree refuses, says, you know, on pain of my soul, I swear there is no rape. Carouge says, then, you know, you shall be damned and stabs him. Yay, I guess. (laughs) Duel ends, corpse dragged through the dirt as one does. And for the first time in this two and a half brutal hours of this movie, that I suffered through. And I, I don't know how you did it in theaters. I don't think I could have done this if I hadn't been able to like pause and stand up and move away from this. Not to mention in the middle of 
COVID my first time God. in a yeah and and the guy in front of me never mind let's go Keep I'm going. so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so I don't know I'm, I'm so sorry and I'm so glad I did not see this in theaters anyway we finally see our like three seconds of color because you know she's uh happy I guess now it's green and she's playing with her kid because the only thing she cares about is motherhood well no she's happy because her husband's dead I mean it's oh is he dead is he supposed to be dead uh, already yeah, yeah, yeah he's dead. oh because then it because he wasn't there but then it, afterwards it says that he you know fought and died at this point oh so he's dead he's supposed to be dead already okay I will say the positioning of the title cards in this film I found aggressively confusing in addition to like all of the other problems. It was like, there was all of these things where it's like, now we're going to have a title card that says like Scotland 1385 or whatever it says. And it's like, but okay. But wasn't the previous scene also, like wasn't the last two minutes also in Scotland in 1385? So why are we first getting the title card now? Uh, anyways, that was what I thought that at the end, I had not, it did not occur to me that he was already supposed to be dead. Anyway. We're told he eventually fought and died, quote, in the Crusades. And Marguerite is uh, remained as a lady of the estate and never remarried. Yep. So that is this movie. That's the movie. So let's now get into what it got right and wrong. Okay. What did it get right? Wait, I can do it. Ready? So there was an accusation of rape. Mm-hmm. made by a guy named Carouge against another guy named Legree. There was and they had a history of conflict, right? Sort yeah. of? Maybe. <laughs> and there... I think the like a new the like the property dispute thing was Maybe. based on, I think so. Maybe. Okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't no, I mean it's not it's not that oh okay. Maybe. Uh, Carouge had two wives. The second wife, Marguerite, is the one about whom there is this rape accusation. Mm-hmm. There is a trial by combat. They did fight. Carouge did win. Carouge did kill Legree. And then eventually he died and Marguerite lived until, I think, Probably 14, 17, 18, I can't remember. Yeah, I think that sounds right. And there's a couple other little things. Things like, you know, depiction of the fact that there are these people who are, you know, supposed to be kind of of the nobility, but who are in fact impoverished. Sure, that that's plausible. That happened. That's plausible, right? So things like that. It oversimplifies, but I think it something that, could have been interesting had they done more with it is this kind of idea that courtly love culture sets up this dynamic where women's no's are not taken seriously. Yeah, that could have actually been, that could have been, I mean, this gets into what you were talking about maybe getting into is one of some of the ways you could have written this movie. Yes. That would actually be more true, but also better and less boring. Yes. So there's there's that element. Props to showing a urine chart. Any anybody who brings in what is actually fascinatingly wonderful about medieval medical practices. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So when when there was um when there was a concern about infertility. 
they would examine the urine, mm-hmm. but of both the husband and the yes. wife. Yep. And, uh, you know, I didn't include this as things that are actually true for the actual people in question, because there's no real sign of any problems or any, I mean, the, the whole, the whole business with Marguerite getting possibly pregnant from the rape is real tangential to the sources. Yes. Yeah. And I believe to the extent that it's kind of brought up, if I'm remembering correctly in my kind of vague memory of the book, it's that the author of the book sort of speculates that that might be that like the pregnancy and the like not wanting people to think about that possibility is like why she's not as visible in a lot of the events surrounding the trial, but that that is speculation. Yeah. So, I mean, it will not surprise you to know that we don't actually know how many children ever had because (laughs) no one, you know, I mean, anybody who thinks about what we do and don't know about women in the middle ages knows that women are not written about very much. Mm -hmm. The children are not written about very much. And so the fact that we don't know of any children doesn't mean they didn't have any children. It just means it's normal. So there's this idea that like it's not like we're sitting around with a bunch of birth certificates. We don't have that as medieval historians. Right. Right. So we have no idea how many children Marguerite and uh, Carouge may have had. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably had at least three. They probably, they, they definitely, I guess, or she at least had at least one who is her heir and the heir of Carouge. But beyond that, we have no idea. Right. And the only reason anybody thinks that there's any, so the the pregnant from the rape thing comes from one thing that one of, one of Caruja's lawyers wrote about a memoir. Mm -hmm. He says that Marguerite consistently claimed that the rape happened and that, and that uh, Legree had done it while, uh, you know, even while in childbirth. Mm-hmm. That's, it. that's the soul. That's it. That's all we have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, before we get into what it didn't do so well, I will give one, one final tiny, tiny shout out is that at some point, uh, her, her and her mother-in-law are having a, oh, this, this is the closest we get to passing the Bechdel test. Her and her mother-in-law have a conversation about cheese. And in this conversation about cheese, they mention the cheese Roquefort. And indeed, Roquefort would have been a known cheese in around this period, since apparently Charles VI, who is the king represented in this film, in 1411 grants the people of the town of roquefort sur a cheese monopoly on making cheese in this particular way, uh, with it kind of indicated that they'd been doing that for a while. I am so happy to know this. Yeah. This is great. So yeah, I am, you know, this, this movie gets, gets one, one cheese point. Good. And, and I mean, you know, okay, they actually did try to represent a woman as capable of managing a household in all of those yes. things. And yes, it's nice to know that that might have been plausible for women in the Middle Ages. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were able to imagine a world in which women could read and write. That's very nice. Yes. So now let's get into what we think this movie maybe didn't do so well 
as just a very small thing, I will just say, why, why do they, why do they think nobody invented color until like the 16th century? <laughs> I have no idea. People, people would have dressed in very colorful ways. And it's like, why, why is everything so gray? Oh dear. I don't know what to say. hundred years more. I don't know what they were trying to say. I have no idea. I mean, it's the middle, it's the dark ages. It was dark back then. <laughs> there we go. So I sort of spoiled it already, but of course my main problem is that they invent everything about Marguerite, basically. Mm-hmm. It's either an invention or it comes from the accusation that was made by her husband. They completely misrepresent rape law. They completely misrepresent, mm-hmm. well, they, they, they distort how people were thought to get pregnant in some very, mm-hmm. in very unpleasant ways. There's also apparently some real problems with the trial by combat as, as is plausible, but I'm not an expert in that kind of thing for that. I refer your listeners to Ariel Elema, who Mm -hmm. is uh, an expert in trial by combat and is a practitioner of swords thingy stuff and explains in beautiful Mm -hmm. detail what would have actually been possible in this trial by combat Um, Mm because it's really important case for understanding trial by combat because there's five or so medieval descriptions of it Mm -hmm. and so they can work with them together to do some reconstruction I mean only only two of them are plausibly from people who were actually might have been there but even Mm -hmm. I mean and that this was not the this was not in fact the last such trial by combat, they were quite uncommon at this point. I think I looked up the very, quote, last one permitted was in, I think, the mid-16th century. Oh, there's no, I mean, there is no such thing as the last duel. I right. Mean, it's, neither, it's neither the last nor the duel. It's a... Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not certainly isn't a duel, right? I mean, it's a duel is kind of fundamentally a different thing from a judicial combat. Right. I mean, they had been outlawed many times. They were sort of allowed in a limited way at this moment, which is how it happened. But mostly they were very rare and they were mostly illegal. And when they were fought, they were usually not actually fought. Most of the time something happened along the way and it didn't actually happen. Or if it did happen, somebody stopped it before you Mm -hmm. got to the death. Right. Right. So this is, this is an, I mean, that's, that's part of what does make this actual, the actual event so interesting Mm -hmm. is that these horrible people were so intent on, you know, trying to kill each other and the horrible people in charge were so amused by this spectacle that they let it happen. That's what's exceptional about it. Yeah. Also, of course, the, uh, so the mention of her, the kind of claim that if the duel goes you know, against them, that she's going to be burned alive. There's, you know, one reference for that, right? So it's uh, the Fassar Chronicle, who like, yeah. I don't know, he's, he's, he's kind of dramatic. Uh, he's always dramatic. He's known for exaggeration. He's known for exaggeration. It's only in, so there's many different versions of Fassar's Chronicles. It's only in one version of the mm. Chronicle that it's actually there. But in any case, he wasn't at the trial by combat. Right. He was in Flanders at the time. So he's sort of um, among the least plausible of the contemporary accounts. And there is no such law. There's a complicated right. law from the Assizes of Jerusalem, which is earlier crusader law that kind of says 
that if there's a trial by combat that a woman initiates with her accusation, that if she or really her champion loses, then she might be burned at the stake. But this is not that. And Mm -hmm. we have no evidence of anything like that ever happening, even in Jerusalem. Right. So there's no, there's no example of a woman ever being burned at the stake for making a wage of trial by combat, which Marguerite did not make. Right. (laughs) So there's zero evidence for this. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, Foissard Mm -hmm. said that it would have happened, but that's all you've got. Yeah. And it's very much, you know, let's, let's pick and choose to find the worst thing, which is, I would say, a trope in things set in the Middle Ages in general, and a trope about depictions of women in the Middle Ages in particular, right? Let's assume the most horrific, restrictive, misogynist possibilities as being the norm, regardless of uh, whether that's true or not. Exactly. So that's why this is so infuriating. Yes. Uh, and, and also that to the extent that there was any penalty for something that was deemed to be a false rape accusation, it did not carry, you know, the death penalty in any form. No, no. I mean, so, so sometimes there is an idea that if you make a false accusation of any kind for a serious crime, it's that there's sometimes a threat that you could be executed, maybe right. plausibly, but I mean that, that that doesn't mean that anybody actually did it. And yeah. certainly for the specific case of rape, there there's no yeah. So I've seen I've seen a woman ordered to be whipped for making an accusation that was deemed false, mm-hmm. and that's that's as far as I can go. Right. In terms also of the kind of general misrepresentation of rape law, this idea that any crime of rape is always understood solely as a crime, as a property crime against her husband or father. There are, from what I understand, right, there are kind of specific kinds of accusations about essentially kind of removing a woman from her father or husband's home without his consent, where it is kind of treating his consent as being what matters in some ways, but that fundamentally the idea of sexual assault as being a crime that is committed against a woman still exists. Yeah, I mean, it's super complicated and, and gets yes. really deep into to some canon law that nobody wants to hear about. Right. Uh, but so so there is a there is a sort of old Roman law foundation of this idea that, that, the, that there's some, that it's a species of property law and that, that a woman is being taken from who she belongs to, right. to someone else. But that's more to do with a, a sort of a, a related kind of crime with the same name. Right. Very confusing. But there, the main issue is whether or not the woman herself consented mm-hmm. to the assault. Therefore, yes. it is not like nobody would be asking if she consented mm-hmm. if it was, you know, about her father's consent or her husband's right. consent. This is about right. did Marguerite want, you know, was it adultery? 
or was it rape? And right. And, and they are treated differently in many ways. Yes, they are. <laughs> so so that that is that is one of the bothersome things about this movie. Yes. Less serious, but I also must ask, uh, based on your knowledge of these sources, is there any reason for the miscellaneous orgies we keep seeing at the Count's home? I no, 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 no. I didn't think so. And my general feeling about that was that it seemed to me like an effort to introduce some like, I don't know, Game of Thrones-esque sexiness into like the medieval rape movie. That was all I could think of. And yeah, no, I, I mean, I, 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 I couldn't understand why they did that. Nor could I. I. I mean, that's, that's my theory, right? Is that basically this movie, this rape movie doesn't have enough sex. Yeah. We need some fun sex in this movie. Not that the orgies were fun. No, they looked extremely unpleasant. They really did. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did not like this movie. So. Especially given that neither of us particularly liked this movie, I have a segment called the Fabula Nostra, Our Story, where I suggest we each come up with a film or piece of media, perhaps inspired by this one, that we would like to see in the world, perhaps in this case instead of this one, whether that be a different version of this story or something totally different. Would you like to go first or should I go first? Uh, I want to hear yours first. So. Mine really is just that I was thinking about basically one of the other things that I also found frustrating in the marketing for this film is that they were very much like, oh, look, look, we uh, we're so feminist because we found one of these rare, almost non-existent examples of, uh, you know, a like trial where we can talk about like people who, you know, aren't the kings and like, in like, you know, pers- and, like present the perspectives of women's voices. And like, in addition to the fact that we don't really have her voice in the actual records. I also all find that frustrating as a social historian in that these kinds of tri- there's obviously things that are unique about this particular situation and case, but the idea of there being trial records uh, where we get to learn a lot about specific cases and different kinds of conflicts between people, in fact, you know, even kind of below this level, right, where we get to learn about conflicts between, you know, the people who, you know, lived in cities, right, people who uh, kind of belong to the sort of middling classes. These are not unique. There is a massive volume of this kind of source material. So even just in terms of, you know, obviously it's, you know, would be, this is very much just still like tip of the iceberg, but even just thinking about something else about which and a book has been written that they could base a screenplay off of, just, you know, low bar, right? I'm requiring like relatively minimal, like read one book. I'll recommend Stephen Bednarski's A Poisoned Past, The Life and Times of Margarita de Portu, a 14th century poisoner, is about this woman in 14th century Provence who is accused of having poisoned her husband, which she denies doing and is ultimately found to be innocent. And there are some interesting ways in which it kind of intersects with his ability history as well, because she seems to have to uh, have been epileptic. And so it is, it's a really interesting story and one in which, uh, you know, obviously mediated through the people who are writing down her testimony, but which we actually have her testimony and we have testimony and voices from other women as well as men in the community. And it's a story that 
exists. We've got documents. As I said, we even have a kind of easy, you can read this exactly one book and base your source and like base everything off this one book when you're coming up with your screenplay. It's very easy. And I think would do a better job of actually, if this is what they're allegedly, you know, some filmmakers are allegedly interested in doing in presenting women's perspectives or a woman's perspective from the medieval past. I like it. That's my suggestion. I like it. So I'm going to, I'm going to cheat and make two suggestions. One is take this incredible array of sources, Mm -hmm. which is the, you know, five chronicles, the memoirs uh, written by the lawyer for Legree. And then what we do have, which is the records of the the two lawyers pleading uh, at parliament. So what uh, Carouge's lawyer said happened and then what Legree's lawyer said happened is all there. Mm-hmm. Use those and go straight from them. And I mean, and what you would do is you would display these as all of the versions offered by all of these different men mm-hmm. about what happened. And it would be all of these different accounts of what these men said happened about this thing. And then you could reflect on how it mattered to each of these men. I don't know if that would be a good movie. I think probably not, but it could be a, a useful um, undergraduate class or something. I don't know. Yeah. So for yeah. a movie, uh, what I would say is, you know, there are unfortunately quite a few pretty disturbingly rich uh, mm-hmm. rape trial yeah. words that we could use. I mean, I've been working on one. I'm not using it to focus on the allegation of sexual assault. I'm much more interested mm-hmm. in the woman's whole life. Mm-hmm. But she gives three different, because she's asked to repeat over and over what precisely happened to her. We have three three of her depositions about mm-hmm. what happened. And we, you know, I mean, so, so all of these kinds of things are there in medieval sources. And yes, I am, I am suggesting that a woman, a married woman was making a rape accusation, but how could that be? Because anyway. They have no legal standing without their husband's support, I thought. Support, so how could that possibly? I, so, okay, it, it's sort of roughly plausible that that might've been the case for a noble woman in Normandy and Normandy only, but anyway, mm-hmm. regardless. regardless. So that's yeah, what like, I, by the way, just to say, like, women bring cases, like, to court all the time. All the time. A range of cases. A range. Both criminal and civil. Including, by the way, against their own husbands. Yeah. So. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. No, I, I think that's an excellent suggestion. Thank you. <laughs> so at this point, we have the section that we call the estimatio, or rating. Mm-hmm. where one can read this film on a scale of one to five based on whatever subjective criteria we see fit. And I will also just note that the policy of this podcast is that anyone, guest or host, has the right to give a single score of zero with the caveat that if they give a new zero in the future, either for me because I'm here all the time or for the guest if they return, that a previously given zero will uh, revert to a one retroactively. So with all of those caveats in mind, Sarah, how would you like to rate this film? I will give it a one because I have actually seen a worse movie. 
Congratulations. Thank you. I, I will, I'll tell you what it is. It's called The Advocate. I'm telling you that now just to make sure that now that one you know not to watch. Yeah, and it's not, and is that medieval? It's medieval. Oh, so I, so I could have an excuse to watch it at some point, but I probably, but I should. Just, uh, I okay. only brought it up in hopes to spare you. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, hope it is, it is not quite as high profile as this. This I felt obligated to cover, but that, that maybe I can, it seems like I can skip. You can totally skip it. I, well, I haven't seen The Advocate. I'm struggling. I like that we see her managing the estate. That's a plus. This film has some very good performances. I think the flaws of this film, I would not say are the fault of any of the actor's performances. Mm-hmm. Which means that this is technically, you know, not the worst movie quality-wise that I have seen on this podcast. And it's not even the necessarily one that departs most aggressively from medieval realities. Uh, Honestly, to some extent, I think, you know, Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven is kind of up there on that front. (laughs) So my question is essentially just at this point, is it, however, the one that makes me angriest? Mm-hmm. which is fundamentally what my zero rating is based on. And I think the answer might be that it is. I, I came into this thinking I was giving it a one and honestly have been just progressively more infuriated the more I think about this film. And because even to the extent of, okay, Ridley Scott's other medieval offerings, Kingdom of Heaven and Robin Hood, can't stand them. Awful movies. I hate them. I know they have their defenders. I dislike them both. Those at least, however, are movies that I find useful in various ways to teach with in that they, I think, you know, as is something like, you know, Braveheart, for example, which I also don't like, which they say interesting things, right, about tropes about the medieval past, which this does as well, but with the exception that I don't think I could ever responsibly teach this movie just because I would be so concerned about the extent to which I mean the scene the rape scenes are just so you know graphic in the sense that you know it's just like it is very clear what is happening and it's horrific and you have to see it twice and and offensively so so yes I mean if you're if you're heading towards a zero and if the if the grounds is anger making then I can join you yeah I think combined with anger making and the fact that I think given how triggering it can it could very easily be I don't think I could even responsibly use it as a teaching tool. No, I really, so I mean, I'll say I, I don't, I don't teach, I teach the sources. I don't teach the movie. Yeah. And I tell people not to see the movie. Yeah. I, I could see potentially like with an immense amount of trigger warnings, putting it on a list, maybe of optional films at most. I'm not even sure I do. I do that, but I, you know, I, I know that I have students who are, you know, interested in talking about sexual assault in film. And so given if they're like willing to go into that, I would potentially say like, this would be a film that if you, you know, can handle it and wanted to watch it on your own and incorporate it into your paper, you can, but I would never feel comfortable requiring this film. And so I think given that I am giving this movie a zero. Yeah, no, that, that sounds right. That's yeah. Yeah. So 
Sarah, thank you so much for uh, coming on to to have this cheerful uh, discussion. Yeah, I'm so sorry for having made you re-experience this film. I assume you did not actually re-watch it. Oh God, never. Never. Yeah, I... I, I will say again, I, I'm not sure I will ever. I, I don't think I'd ever watch this again. I think it is too disturbing. Never, 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 never. Yeah. So Sarah, yes, thank you again for suffering through this with me. Are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet? Well, I wrote, I wrote some things about this movie on Slate with the incredibly wonderful and talented David Perry. So you can look for us there. And we've written some other things for Slate about the Middle Ages that, um, or that involve the Middle Ages that you can also find on Slate. I, I spend too much time whining about things on Twitter. It's not really, uh, I mean, you can follow me there if you want. <laughs> There's no real need. And yeah, that's me. All right. And uh, I will just as a as a kind of specific plug, because we do not get into it in detail, but I know I have listeners who have asked me about this. Uh, if you were interested in the hairstyle choices of this film, we did not get into that on this podcast, but Sarah has an excellent entire article on this that you should go and check out. Really fun. And luckily, the editor did not go with the version that included some of my earlier hairstyle choices. <laughs> We've all had those moments, especially perhaps those of us with uh, with curly hair have uh, have had had those moments. Know it all. <laughs> so, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review Media Evil. I'll read new five star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join the Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Decker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So Sarah, thank you again. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. that you are to be burned alive. I will not be silent.